Hello, this is Carl and Esther for Science Please Podcast. Today we're going to try and explain some of the, the recent phenomena we all experience, like, say for instance, if we lose our phone or, God forbid, our phone runs out of battery and we feel a great sense of anxiety. It's almost like we've lost a part of ourself. It's like our phones are like tools that become extensions of our own hands. The question, though, is can we explain this with some hard experimental data? Can we explain why we experience this anxiety, this recently coined word for losing your phone or being addicted to your phone, nomophobia? So, Esther, can you tell us what the, uh, the science of behind nomophobia might be? All right, so long before uh, cell phones even existed, um, it was a, a concept in psychology, especially like the Freudian school of psychology, that some of your uh, tools that you're using is incorporated in your body scheme or body image. Early uh, psychologists can claim that, for example, your the clothes you are clothes you are wearing, or if you're driving a car, the car itself uh, is incorporated in your body. So that can lead to obsessive behaviors, for example, because uh, some some obsessions over objects uh, can mean that they are incorporated to your body scheme, so you cannot uh, distinguish yourself from an object. And they claim that, uh, a, a fantastic psychologist called Mahler claimed that this, this is originating from the fact that um, when you are a baby, and uh, your mother is breastfeeding you, um, you experience that you are like in, in a single bubble and you are like a joint entity. And the first step of having an, uh, a very well-known concept, the ego, is that you realize that you are actually separated from your mother, you are a separate entity. So this is a very important question of the body scheme uh, in the psychology. And more modern uh, researchers claim that this can be the, the underlying concept for some of the newer uh, diseases of the body image. For example, anorexia nervosa or bulimia. Now the question is that how can we address this with the toolbox of neuroscience? Okay, so then the paper that we're going to discuss is is a review paper which sort of unpacks some of the work that's been done over the last the last couple of years about what what might actually be happening with our sensory perception in response to the in response to the motor movements of say of let's say using a rake to clean up a garden or 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 using a golf club as an extension of your arm. So the question then becomes what changes when we use an instrument over time, do we do we incorporate it into our into our body image, and how long does that take? What happens? What needs to happen neurologically for that change in perception mm. to happen? Yeah. So if you if you read Oliver Sacks, uh, I have to refer to him now because his um, uh, his note on his um, 
terminal disease is very popular. Yeah, he just got diagnosed with cancer, didn't yeah. he? And so he has a, a few little pieces about uh, the concept of body scheme. And I just like to make a distinction first about body scheme and body image, because body scheme is a classic uh, neurological term for uh, the the summation of the proprioceptive uh, stimuli uh, that arrives to your brain. Okay, so proprioception is just how you perceive your own limbs in the space around you, right? Exactly. Okay. Basically uh, tied to your movements, but it's, it's not just your movements. It's all the little senses that coming from your periphery okay. to your central nervous system about your own body. And if you think about this is a very important uh, feedback because uh, that's going to um, affect your motor control and uh, that's going to give you the sense of the borders of your body. Pain is also a good example because body scheme is uh, the summation of uh, something with the Freudian term unconscious. So it's, 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 if, if it's not uh, painful that uh, you won't be aware of I don't know, the position of your limbs, or at least you won't think about it. Mm. But then you can have, um, we can have an, uh, introduced another concept called uh, body image. Mm. And this body image is the cognitive version of your body scheme. If we, if we want to address uh, the body image on a neuroscientific level, we have to go back to the body scheme because with proprioception, we can, we can do something. Mm. So that's what exactly uh, the authors are doing. Mm. So they don't really address on a neuronal level the, the body image. They uh, try to address proprioception and not just proprioception because um, body image is not a, a unimodal um, concept but also you don't just like have the feelings from uh, from your periphery but you also see your periphery so you see your limbs you see yourself in the mirror you hear your own voice like as uh, well it's a holistic experience yes, right? it's it's a, that's why it's so hard to record this podcast i'm hearing you my voice i see that like i'm i don't know my gestures are kind of funky, so it makes me nervous. This is my body image. Yeah, um, but then I mean, conscious. but then surely, but surely by addressing all these factors, this this paper is actually quite good because I mean, what does it mean if you just if you just address mm. motor outside of sensory? It would be meaningless. So this exactly. holistic approach is quite nice. On the top of all this, so that it's it's. Uh, it has a conscious and a not conscious aspect, and also it's a multimodal, not unimodal. Uh, on the top of this, you, you have the extra fact that it's driven by your actions. So you basically, that was uh, one of the first concepts of the cortical research in neuroscience, you have a body map. Uh, in your cortex, then yeah, your, body is, yeah, your yeah. body is laid out. Mm. But this body map can be manipulated by actions, so actually your motor system is crucial in forming your body image. That's why if we go back to the, the psychoanalytical theory of separating from your mother, mm. the, they say that the first time you separate from your, really separate from your mother, is when you, uh, when the, the toddler is uh, going away from further distances from the mother. So yeah. it's actually uh, anchored to a motor action. It can be manipulated, so it's not a rigid thing. It's a plastic thing. It's dynamic across your lifespan, but then also presumably we're going to talk about how it's dynamic at much shorter intervals 
So learning how to use a tool. We, we are um, we're trying to move on to the harder part of this uh, this question is um, the re researchers could establish a system uh, for this uh, body scheme or this action oriented body maps in in rodents and in mostly primates and this is called the frontoparietal system mm. and it was it's a, also a very scandalous topic and the next podcast is going to discuss that but it's also associated with the mirror neuron properties that's a very mm. popular concept and we are going to like criticize the shit out of it the next time but anyway so what the what the system needs to be capable of is first it needs to uh, be able to integrate multimodal stimuli uh, it needs to be highly plastic because it needs to be interacting with your actions to have the the role of a bridge uh, between the sensory and the motor world so if you think about the brain as a black box it needs to be connected with an input and an output and these neurons are basically do that mm. so these are also called the, the bimodal neurons of the frontoparietal system and the researchers concentrated on these neurons okay so so what was the design how were they expecting what were they expecting to see change okay so basically how we try to make this po particular podcast popular is mm. we we told our audience that we are going to explain for the the attachment to our mobile phones, right? So yeah. they basically took this uh, setup and tried to translate it to macaques. The macaque is in a cage. The food is outside, so the macaque cannot reach it by his hand. So he needs the so tool. So he needs that's, the tool that's to in the reach cage. the food, hmm. and this is a necessity because if if he doesn't use the tool, he'll starve. He, he will starve, exactly. This uh, research group uh, set this task to the monkeys, and at the same time, they were recording from these bimodal neurons. And the sensory multimodal neurons have this property called the receptive field. It can be measured where a neuron is active, for what kind of motions it's active to, what kind of stimuli it's activated by. Okay. And this um, this is conventionally called the receptive field of the neuron. So whatever it's activated to, so whatever I would say turns the neuron on. Okay, so you can get an you can get an estimate of what these neurons are are reacting to. So ordinarily, probably if I've got no tool, they're going to react to the position of my hand, like like the natural the natural end of my body at the end of my fingers. Yeah. But then by measuring this tool use over time, you can start to see if, if the receptive field expands to include the tool that's being used. So these neurons are uh, responding to the somatosensory uh, stimuli arriving from the hand. Okay. And also responding to the visual stimuli around the hand. So that's why they are bimodal neurons. Okay. So they, they can do both. They are like multitasking. So because we obviously we want this whole entire experience in one category, we want it to be processed together. Mm. So that's why they probably, that's why they, these neurons are responding to both. And additionally, that's my favorite part of these neurons. I mean, that's why I love them. 
I mean, I'm working on the motor system. They're also uh, following the spatial movements of the hand. So they are, they can... So they're trimodal. Or rather, not, well, not trimodal, well, but they're, they're, doing, they're doing three things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But the, the three things are related to each other. That's important. Yeah. If the, the monkeys had to use the tool for reaching the food, mm. uh, the, the receptive field of the neuron that was activated by just the hand with mm. the prior trials, it was extended to the tool itself after many trials. Okay. That means basically that neuron, little neuron, learned that, oh, so the, the hand is not the only um, way, so it's, it's not the only participant executing this movement, but also the tool. So it's, if we want to use the psychoanalytical terms, we said it's incorporated into the body scheme. Mm. And they could actually measure it on a neural level. So, so what, what was the latency? Was there a, did it take a long time? It, it took, uh, took a few trials, to, so it's, but it's understandable because you don't want to see immediate change because that's not plasticity, that's just chance. <laughs> so, so this maybe leads into why this is even more interesting because it's a learning behavior. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it can be modified, so it can be learned and unlearned at the same time. So you can, so you can learn to use your tools as if it was your own body, and you can unlearn it. So for example, if I sent you to a desert island without your phone, probably after five years, you won't look at your phone every, every two time. seconds because yeah. it's off. Yeah. So it's not anymore the part of your body scheme. Yeah, but for instance, the bow and arrow that I that, that I that I fashion out of a piece of wood because I need to hunt will replace that, and that will feel as comfortable as it did with my phone before. So I mean, this this incorporation of the body scheme—it's not just a—and it's not just an academic—and it's not it's not just of academic interest. It's 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 functionally related to how we learn new behaviors, how we feel comfortable with them, and and how we become better at, at, at different tasks. Yes, exactly. What was more interesting for me, or more the, the most convincing about this data set for me, is that uh, extension of the receptive field didn't happen if it was not an active tool use. So if it was not, it had no functionality. So if if the 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 tool was just there and they could just play with it and they could just lift it up the same amount of time as they mm. could do it when it was a necessity. It didn't incorporate. So the question we have to ask ourselves, why is it so important to hold our phone? It's, is, is it like a real necessity, like as if we were starving for information? That's probably the need for communication well, is so as important as, as getting the food. Well, I mean, it's all about reward, surely, no? Yes. Yes, I could, I could say that. So, I mean, it's, it's presumably all tied to the reward system of the fact that when we look at our phones, similar to when we're getting a reward using this stick or the rake or whatever to reach something out, out, out with our arms, we're getting a reward. We're seeing a text from a, from a lover or we're reading an interesting article. I mean, we're, you know, we're being rewarded by these processes. Yes. So the, the, our last question could be that this 
these fantastic results. I mean, honestly, I'm stunned by this line of research because I'm I'm always fascinated if you can prove something old school, you know, what we like learn in, I don't know, first year psychology BA that like uh, some uh, tools can incorporate and it's also fuzzy and it suddenly gets... Like it's very concrete. Once but it's you very actually... concrete and we can actually measure and prove that's the most awesome, I think, ever. But then you have to address if we have something on humans, right? Because these are primate data. Yeah, so I mean, I reading from the reading from the paper, I couldn't yeah. see a great deal of evidence or any evidence really from humans. Mm. Now, so there is a, like a because when we when we are in the humans, we cannot like lower an electrode or anything because that's well, it's, not a little bit, it's a little bit unethical. <laughs> just like, chop someone's yeah. skull off and stick an electrode. Exactly. In it. So. But we can, we can have uh, the patients with lesions or the patients with uh, certain syndromes, like the neglect patients. Mm. And so the neglect um, is a condition uh, when you basically lose half of your um, visual field. Yeah, half, of your, half of your sensory field mm. um, due to a cortical damage. Uh, and so it's a very classic test of neglect that you have to copy, that you have to draw a clock or a tree or something. Mm. And one side is perfect, but the other side is distorted. Mm. Uh, and this is the contralateral to, to the lesion or the damage. Yeah. Um, so these patients are really useful. <laughs> so to say that in, in this... Um, sort of situation because we can we can really investigate uh, how functions are lost close to the body and in a proximity to a body so because we we think that close to the body is a different kind of space than whatever is in a more distance mm. to the body so the close to the body space is uh, normally called the allocentric uh, space because uh, in a space where you move, you experience your borders and uh, you basically do it with proprioception or you, you taste something with your mouth, you touch something with your hands. But if you want to have information from distal parts of the world, you use your vision or the hearing. Perti and Frasinetti set um, a very simple task to neglect patients. Basically, they draw a lot. So if it, it, it was in the allocentric space, so they actually have to point to the middle of mm -hmm. the line, they had a bias because they have the neglect, so they, they had a, a bias toward the contralateral direction. Mm -hmm. So they, they moved more contralateral mm -hmm. as the middle. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. Yeah, And then... If they, but if it was outside of the allocentric space, they gave perfect answer with the help of a laser pointer. Okay. But if they had to give the answer with um, like a real, actually physical a like stick. A stick, yeah, exactly. So if they have to point it out with a stick, they made the bias again because the stick made a connection in between their distal space and the allocentric space. So again, it was incorporated to their body scheme. 
And so the neglect was present so at the, a distal region. Exactly. And, and that quite clearly shows then that you're integrating the tool into a part of your own proprioception. Exactly. And this is also a wonderful example how you can use patient groups to uncover basic mechanisms of the brain. Yeah, which is quite nice because otherwise we would have just been left with comparative data from macaques. Exactly, that's shitty, right? I mean, it's only one step better than rats, really. <laughs> oh, get lost. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay.